my name is Christopher Schroff, and I'm your host. Welcome to the first episode of Non-Canonical. Um, I just wanted to let you know, since this is the first episode, what the podcast was about, kind of, and just go from there, get into the story. Um, what this podcast is, is a storytelling podcast where I'm going to write stories and put out episodes every other week, probably on Fridays. And each story is going to be self-contained, which means that it's going to be their own stories. The next episode isn't going to be connected to this one. It's just going to end how it ends, and you can take it however you want it. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, I have a Patreon at patreon.com noncanonical. If you like the work that I'm doing, you could support me over there. But future intros will be shorter, and let's get straight to the story. We open with something unexpected, complete and utter darkness. You cannot see the ground or the ceiling or any walls. You can't tell if you're in a small room or an infinite void. You feel as though you might be both sinking and floating at the same time. Your breathing begins to shorten until you realize you aren't breathing at all. Here you are in a dark, weightless, airless pit alone. All of a sudden, you see light. Around 500 feet away, a light bulb hanging from a wire descends from the non-existent ceiling. This light does not reveal anything in the darkness. No furniture, no wall, nothing. It is just a beacon in this dark place. As you move closer to the light, you realize you're not alone. A man stands under the light, staring at you. This man is tall, old, and thin, but has an imposing stature. He wears an immaculate black suit, a white undershirt, and a small red bow tie. His dress shoes, you notice, are scuffed beyond repair and look as though they could fall off of his feet. When you look to his face, you see sharp features in what is, by all accounts, a fairly handsome man. But his eyes, his eyes are a piercing blue, almost gray. There is no joy or malice in his gaze. It just feels as though he can see into your soul, as if he's picking apart your merits and your faults. You stand there, unmoving from his gaze, waiting. After some time, he closes his eyes and lets out deep sigh after deep sigh. His foot begins to tap uneasily. Keeping his eyes closed, he begins to tighten his fists and they begin to shake. His deep sighs begin to turn into short breaths of panic. When his eyes open again, they are full of sorrow. He dips his head down as if he is ashamed. He moves his hands behind his back and clasps them together. His feet still move uneasily, as if he wants to tell you something, but can't quite bring himself to do so. Finally, he looks up, tears welling in his eyes. He opens his mouth, his voice trembling, and he says to you, I'm, I'm sorry, but I have to show you this. The man in the black suit 
takes his hands from behind his back and wraps them around the glowing light bulb and crushes it. The very essence of light begins to drip from the bulb in a liquid form. It falls down and begins to swirl in circles as though it were being sucked down a drain. You feel the space around you begin to vibrate. The swirling light begins to shake in the darkness. And then, the darkness begins to collapse. A black hole may consume matter and light, but this, this consumes darkness. As your current setting is being torn apart, you see flashes of people. You don't know these people. You've never seen them in your life, but there is still some sort of familiarity to them. The looks on their faces, each of them displaying a different, distinct emotion gives you feelings of horror with each passing look. Sadness, love, sickness, mournfulness, emotion after emotion, feeling after feeling, all until that last face. That last, cold, emotionless face with the icy blue gray eyes. He blinks, and there's another flash of light, and everything has changed. You're now in a white room with a large black table in the middle with one chair on each side. The table has a small briefcase sitting on it with a key on top of the briefcase. An oddly familiar light bulb is hanging from the ceiling, but for some reason you can't quite place where you recognize it from. The light is swinging in small circles making a light creak sound. A woman walks in, wearing a lab coat with some kind of substance smeared across it. Under the lab coat, she is wearing a uniform. On her face, she is wearing a gas mask. A man walks in quickly after her, carrying a covered case. He also wears the uniform, gas mask, but wears no lab coat. He places the case down on the table, nods to the woman, and turns to leave. Before opening the door to exit, he turns, tells her to call when she leaves, and walks out. The door shuts, and a green gas flows through the vents. After it stops and shuts off, you hear a voice echo through a speaker system. Room sanitation complete. The woman moves to the table and removes the cover from the case. The case is a glass box with a metal base that has a lock built into it. Inside the glass, you see a brain. The woman takes the key from on top of the briefcase and unlocks the case. She raises the glass and places it next to the briefcase. As the room's air hits the brain, it moves, as if it were reacting to the events around it. The woman doesn't react. Either she didn't notice, or she expected it. She proceeded to open the briefcase and takes out the syringe. She then takes out a recording device, presses a button, and says, Test subject 13 is being injected with solution 8890. We hope for a less violent behavior and a longer lifespan than subject 12. She proceeds to inject the brain with solution. As the liquid begins to enter the brain, you see the brain begin to pulse, not unlike a heart. The liquid is dark and it begins to flow through the brain. The woman takes a step back with caution. 
the table begins to shake. She hurriedly moves towards the briefcase, reaches inside, and takes out a knife. She moves it over the brain and plunges it down into the center with precision. You hear what you could only call a deafening scream reverberating in the room. A wave of force causes the woman to go flying back, hitting the wall and her gas mask flies off. You see her face and recognize her. The flashes you saw after the man in black suit crushed the light bulb. This was the woman displaying love on her face. She begins to scramble for her mask, but it, it's too late. Black tendrils began erupting from the wound in the brain. Many appeared to be searching for cracks in the walls or ceiling, as if they were trying to escape. Some, however, went for the woman. She began to scream. The tendrils go for her eyes, her nose, her ears, and her mouth. Her screams are muffled and eventually turn to silence. Then everything stops. Everything freezes. You turn to the table and the man in the black suit is sitting there, looking at the brain in disgust. He looks to you and then to the woman, his cold blue eyes looking on with regret. He appears to be searching for words as he looks on to the horror in front of him. He speaks. I... I was the president of this company. We began research on ways to cure certain types of brain disease. I knew the risks, but the rewards were just too great. I'm sorry. Perhaps one day you will remember. The man stands, looks to the light, grasps his hands around it, and crushes it. As he does, you see a flash of the man that this woman was supposed to call after she left, holding a picture of her sitting on a bed with a child sleeping behind him. The man is sobbing. He is the face of the man you saw displaying mournfulness. A moment later, and there is another bright flash. You have returned to the black void. And now, there is a chilling coldness in the air. As you look around you, you notice that there are now three lights hanging from that non-existent ceiling. In the middle is the man in the black suit. He stands there, with that grim look on his face, looking at you. He raises his right hand, gesturing towards the light on that side of him. The woman, who was attacked by the tendrils of darkness, approach and looks at you with a cold stare. She looks very beautiful now, wearing a blue dress that fits her perfectly. The man in the black suit says to you, this was my daughter, Julia. She was so excited to follow in my footsteps as a scientist. I was, I am so proud of her. He then gestures to the light to the left of him and the man mourning Julia's death approaches. This was her husband, Patrick, a good man who cared very much for her, and their daughter, Cynthia. You look down and see a little girl approach and grab her father's hand as she wipes a tear from her cheek. 
She was the face of sadness. The man looks them over, clenches his fists, then presses his hands to his head as if he was trying to fight something off. He begins to stutter. And my wife, a woman in her 60s, approaches behind the man in the black suit. She was the face of illness. Her name was Rose, and she began forgetting my name when she was 43. She didn't recognize me when she reached the age of 47. She could hardly speak when she was 54. All I wanted to do was bring her memory back. So we began working on a cure. Our attempts killed my daughter and scarred what family I had left. My wife was dead. My daughter, dead. And my son-in-law blaming me for all of it. And rightfully so. So I took what was left of what we called that so-called cure and attempted to reverse it. Instead of bringing memories back, it would, it would help me forget. And it worked. I forgot my family. I forgot the love of my life, my daughter and my granddaughter. But I don't want to forget anymore. And so you have come along, my memory. As he says this, all of his family members look at you and smile and then turn to him. Julia, Patrick, and Rose all grab the lights hanging above them and crush them. The light essence from within them begins to pool under you and swirl. You begin to sink down into that swirling light Crackles of lightning appear from the void as it begins to be devoured once again. The man in the black suit walks forward into the light. You begin to see the light overpower the darkness, creating waves of energy and memory as if it were a river. The flash overtakes you, and suddenly, your setting has changed once more. You appear to be in a hospital. The stench of sanitizers and disinfectants are heavily present. A doctor across the hall begins rolling a patient in a wheelchair down towards you. This patient is rambling loudly about a thousand different subjects all pieced together, about how he lives in his own brain, a dark place only he can see. But a visitor has come to save him. His memory will return. As the patient approaches you, his eyes light up. Those blue-gray eyes go from insanity to complete stillness and understanding. And so, he begins to weep. He weeps for his family, for the memories that had come back to him, for the life that he used to live. After six years of being kept in a mental hospital, Reginald was allowed to go home. 